Well, good morning. Um, I'm really glad that you're here this morning, and I hope that when I'm done, you're glad you were here. I don't know how we happened to land on the passage in 1 Peter on submission in marriage on Valentine's Day, <clears throat> but we did, so lucky me. The truth is, this morning, I'm not going to spend that much time talking about Valentine's Day because you're not here to talk about Valentine's Day. We're not here to celebrate that. We're here to celebrate the Lord's Day. We're here to worship together and gather together in worship. But with that being said, there are very few days on the calendar that remind us of love in our life or loneliness in our life or hurt in our life quite like Valentine's Day. It has a unique way of being painful in a number of ways. And the truth is that some of you are lonely because you long for romantic relationship and that hasn't happened, but you're waiting for that partner to walk through life together. And so you have a sense of missing something or a sense of loneliness. Some of you have found that partner and then experienced the loss of that. And that's really painful or difficult. There's a really painful reality that there are many that are in a relationship and are still desperately lonely, and that's a really painful reality. So there's all kinds of ways that sitting and listening this morning of all mornings to a sermon on marriage can be like pouring salt in a wound. But the truth is, we don't want to not talk about marriage, because marriage is a good thing. Designed by God, it has a very specific and unique purpose. The problem is we tend to focus a lot on marriage. We tend to talk about it a lot for good reasons. And in our celebration and praise of marriage, sometimes we can really make people feel bad in that. Because not all of us are called to marriage. Not all of us are experiencing it currently. And that Paul would say that there's great value and purpose in being single. And that that is a calling of God for some, not an easy calling but a calling. And Paul would say it's even preferable because you can really focus on your ministry to the Lord without the distraction of your ministry to another person at the same time. Not an easy calling, but a calling. Marriage is not easy either, by the way, but culturally it can feel a little bit easier because it meets a lot of people's expectations. But marriage isn't easy either, and the biblical expectations on marriage are actually really difficult. It's important that we would talk about them because it's important to God and he talks about them. So we're going to talk about it this morning. Here's the thing I I would want to say this morning. More than anything, more than calling us to singleness or calling us to marriage, God calls us to holiness. And we don't want to forget that. Regardless of my relationship status this morning, that my primary relationship has to be with God. Because a human relationship, whether that's anyone in my life who loves and cares for me, parents or friends or spouse, that human relationship will always fall short of what God expects me to receive in relationship with him. That's just the reality. So we're going to look into God's word this morning. We're continuing our study in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to 1 Peter If you don't have a Bible this morning, we've brought some and placed them on the seats around you. So you're welcome to grab one of ours and use it. Should be nearby. And if you're using our Bible this morning, 
we're going to be on page 1015 of the New Testament. So way at the back of your Bible, 1 Peter, page 1015 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to take ours home with you. That's our gift to you, so please feel free to take it. Please feel free to just listen along this morning. Now, what has Peter been talking about in the last couple of weeks if you've been here with us? Just for a moment, I want you to look back with me to set a little bit of context for what we're going to look at this morning. Peter has been telling these followers of Jesus that they have this great hope, this hope and anticipation of what is to come because they belong to God. They have this amazing, imperishable inheritance that's waiting for them as followers of Jesus. And he said, you have received mercy from God and you belong to him. And that's a big deal. Please don't forget that. You ought to be filled with joy and you ought to be filled with hope at what awaits you. And also that God is doing something in you and through you right now that should fill you with joy and fill you with hope for even what he's doing presently. Even though for a little while it's going to be difficult and a little while might cover your entire life. And Peter isn't being condescending by saying that. He's not minimizing what they're going through. He's just saying your life here is very short in the context of eternity. So for a little while you may suffer, you may endure all kinds of trials in your life here, but you still have this great and overriding hope. And let me just give you some perspective on that. Let me give you some eternal perspective. That's the context of the book. So by the middle of chapter 2, which we've already been through, Peter says, this is true. So live like it's true. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, He says, Beloved, my dear friends, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is the question that Peter is trying to answer right now? The question is, how do I live? as a follower of Jesus, among those who don't believe? How do I live as a follower of Jesus among those who are opposed to the gospel? How do I live with hope in a hostile world? And Peter says, you take a step back, you take a deep breath, and you look at the big picture. You look at it from an eternal perspective, and you look at it according to your calling as a follower of Jesus. And then he gives them some specific examples in the verses following. He says, this is what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus in submission to the government. The good ones and the bad ones. And then he says, this is what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus as a servant or a slave to a good master, to an unjust master. It looks a lot like Jesus. And it brings us to this morning. Our passage today follows the same train of thought. This is what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus in the context of the marriage relationship. So here, I'm just going to give you some quick instructions this morning, because this is a difficult, kind of touchy passage for us to talk about, okay? 
Husbands, you, the first six verses of our passage this morning speak to wives. You are not allowed to take notes during that time. Okay? Wives, you can take notes during that time. The last part of our passage talks specifically to husbands. Wives, you're not allowed to take notes during that time. Husbands, you can take notes. I don't want to see a lot of elbows and a lot of mm-hmm kind of during this morning, okay? You worry about yourself today. You worry about yourself and not about your partner, okay? Now, I'm also going to say this. Help me out a little bit this morning and just don't be offended yet, okay? Because... I want to speak truth this morning, and I want you to hear Peter this morning, and I want you to hear the Lord through Peter. There's a lot of things in here this morning that we could be offended by, but I want you to hear the Lord first, and then you can decide whether you want to be offended by it or not. I really think that what we're seeing here is a beautiful picture of marriage and submission. I think we see that through all of Scripture if we can see it accurately. With all of that in mind, would you pray with me? And would you pray for me this morning? Heavenly Father, we trust you and we trust your word, but we want to hear it clearly this morning. So would you speak clearly to us this morning? Lord, we understand that you call us to difficult things and we want to do that out of trust in you and faithfulness to you. So help us to be obedient. Help us to hear you clearly this morning. Would you open our hearts to hear from you? We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to be this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3. We've given a little background already. For those of you who have been reading through 1 Peter during our series in 1 Peter, you know where we're going this morning. We tend to think of this passage in 1 Peter or the marriage passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, as being pretty loaded. And in our context, they can be. But the truth is, I don't think they are. And I think when we hear them, As God is saying them to us, it's actually quite beautiful. That doesn't mean we're going to take any of the teeth out of it this morning. It's quite difficult to follow, but I think there's something for all of us to hear this morning. Peter is going to tell us that a godly marriage gives us a picture of a woman who is winsome and beautiful and fearless. And he's also going to tell us that a godly picture of marriage paints a picture of a man who is thoughtful and respectful and humble. It's not necessarily what we see immediately, but it's really there. And he's going to start by speaking to the wives here in chapter 3. So wives, we're going to start with you, guys. I don't want you writing anything down, okay? The first thing he says, wives, is be winsome. Be winsome. Look at these first couple verses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter says, likewise, in the same way, in this same pattern of submission that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, be subject to your husbands. Submit to the authority of your husband in the marriage relationship. We're like, that's it. I'm offended already. Right? Let me give you a few things that I think would be helpful this morning as we look at this. First, let's talk about what submission is. What does that word mean? Submission is the choice, the choice to willingly, willingly place yourself under the authority of someone else. 
That's what submission means. The choice to willingly submit myself under the authority of someone else. In the same way that the followers of Jesus placed themselves under the authority of God and his word. In the same way that Jesus submitted himself to the authority of the Father. In the marriage relationship, this is the calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help him carry it through with her gifts. If you remember the creation story, God creates Adam and then he's like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not going to work by itself. This guy needs help. And so he creates the woman to help. So listen to this again. It is the calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help him carry it through with her gifts, which are different than his. That's the first thing. The next thing I would say is that for Peter's audience hearing this, this would not be surprising or shocking. This would be the cultural expectation that the man is the head of the home. He is the leader, the head. Okay, so it wouldn't be shocking. For the church today, for us, this is not the cultural expectation, but for the church, this should not be surprising or shocking either. This is the biblical expectation. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that this morning, but here's what we believe from Scripture. We believe that God created men and women in true equality. But our best understanding of Scripture would tell us that God created us with distinctive roles in both the marriage relationship and the church. Okay, so This is what people who like really big words call the complementarian view. Maybe you've heard that before, maybe you haven't. Men and women created with equal value, but with particular roles that complement each other. Okay, this view does not hold, by the way, that men are superior or that women are inferior, only that each have been given distinctive roles that complement each other in the leadership of the home, the leadership of the church. To the husband, God has given the role of headship, the leadership of the marriage and the family, And let me say this, it is not a statement of competency, okay? (laughs) Ah, I thought we might like that one, okay? Here's what I mean. Wives, you might say, I am more competent to lead my family than my husband is. Husbands, you might say, my wife is more competent to lead my family than I am, okay? The Bible would say, it doesn't matter, Headship is not based on competency. It's based on responsibility. Husbands, you've, given, you've been given the responsibility of leading your wife and your family. And that responsibility includes, by the way, the wisdom to defer to her competency whenever you need to, okay? Because you're a team. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of the biblical backing for the complementarian view this morning, but I'll say this. If you'd like to do some light reading on the subject, the overseers spent maybe the better part of five years writing a paper on this that is available. It's about 60 pages, and I can get you a copy of it if you'd like to read it. If that feels like a lot, there's a nine-page version of that that's available on the website. You can go there, and you can read it this afternoon if you'd like to. And in all seriousness, I would say, if you don't understand this, if you have concerns about it, if you have questions about it, I would direct you there and say, read it. It's worth reading, and we've done our very, very best to unpack God's view of what this looks like, the complementarian 
view. So I would encourage you to do that because I don't have time to go through all 60 pages with you this morning. All of that to say, to me, the most surprising thing in these first couple of verses is not wives be subject to your husbands. It's what he says after that. Be subject to your husbands even if he's not a believer. But it fits the pattern of what Peter has been saying. He says, submit to the government, even the foolish and ignorant ones. Slaves, submit to your masters, even the unjust ones. Wives, submit to your husbands, even the ones who are disobedient to the word of God. And remember the question that Peter is helping them to answer. Remember what it is? How do I live as a follower of Jesus among those who don't believe? And Peter says, wives, be winsome. Live in a way that's winsome. Be subject to your husband in such a way that your actions speak the loudest. That's why he says that you might win them without a word. He's not saying don't talk. He's saying let your actions speak loudest. Live as a witness before your husband that your life might tell the story of what you believe and that you may win him. He uses that word. You might win him. It's not a promise. But it is the goal that you might, he might see the way you live and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Just like he's been talking about for us. Submit to the will of God. Even submit to authority that's placed over us that we disagree with, that we might live in such a way that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the first thing he says is, wives, be winsome. The second thing he says is, wives, be beautiful. Maybe not the way we tend to think of it, but look with me in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I want to say this morning that I understand that I am a husband speaking to wives on being submissive to their husbands. I get the conflict of interest here, okay? I see that. But I would also say this morning that while I don't necessarily know what you feel when you hear this, I can sympathize a little bit as the father of two daughters. And here's what I mean. If I believe that this is God's word and I believe that this is God's design for marriage, then this is what I have to teach my daughters as well. And there will be a day, perhaps, when some punk kid comes into my home and marries one of my daughters, And I'm going to have to believe that God knows what he's talking about when he says this because I can guarantee you that my inclination will be to trust my daughter and her judgment and her competency over his, whoever he is, right? Which is why I also pray that if my daughters marry, they will marry someone that loves Jesus more than he loves them, which would be a good thing to pray for your kids, okay? But this is one of those verses that actually gives me great confidence that God knows exactly what he's doing. Not that there's any question, but we tend to question it anyway. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly what speaks to the heart of a woman. Because this is what he says. He says, don't let your adorning be external. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. You are not something to be decorated. You are a thinking feeling, rational person. So wives and ladies and girls, I want you to hear the heart of God 
in this. You are not a body. You are a person. And I don't care what your friends or what the magazines at the grocery store say or what the commercials or the TV shows on TV tell you is true. You are not a body to be dressed up. You are a person. So dress the person and not the body. Can you see the difference? Look at the contrast that Peter gives us between the two. When you dress the body, you're talking about the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. But look at the opposite. The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Again, we see Peter contrast the eternal with the temporal. Do you see that? What we value, the way things look, the gold, the jewelry, the same conversation that Samuel and David had. God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. So don't get all decked out with gold and braided hair and fancy clothes. Get all decked out with a gentle and quiet spirit, which can't perish, which doesn't go away, last forever, and which God sees as precious, precious in the sight of God. You might read quiet as a little condescending in there. And I don't believe that Peter is saying, don't speak, okay? The word has the connotation of peace, of serenity, of tranquility. He's saying, have, be at peace. Be more concerned with your character than you are with your appearance. Adorn your heart with a gentle peace, with a gentle serenity that comes from a deep trust in who God is, not a deep trust in who your husband is, a deep faith in God. Now, Peter has said that you might win your husband without a word, and then he says, dress yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. Should we read anything into that? Probably, yes, we probably should. Your conduct, the way that you live, should speak volumes. And there may be something to the idea that living out your faith is more effective than expressing it in words. Now, you can't share the gospel without talking. You can't. But you can live out the gospel in front of people in a way that's compelling. And I would just say, that's not a lesson for wives, That's a lesson for believers. We would live in a way that's compelling. And then of course we would share the gospel with our words, but our lives better back it up. And a lot of times a life lived in light of the gospel is more compelling than a lot of words about the gospel to the people around us. So he says, wives, be winsome that your husband might see the way you live and come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, wives, be beautiful, more concerned with your character, more concerned with your person than with your body, and that you would adorn your heart with a gentle and serene spirit that comes from a deep trust in who God is and how he's designed you and how he's designed things to work. And the last thing he says is, wives, be fearless. Verse 5 He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In the context of submission, wives, what do you hope in? Where is your hope? 
Peter calls wives to follow the example of those who trusted God enough to submit to husbands who were deeply flawed. Even the best ones were deeply flawed. See, we can trust God's design for marriage because the problem is not God or his design. The problem is sin. The problem is sin. And Peter's saying, I'm, I'm pointing you to example of people who trusted God enough to submit to men who were deeply flawed. And he uses the example of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, by the way, who used Sarah, he asked Sarah, who was his wife, to pretend that she was his sister so that he wouldn't get killed. Twice he did that. Once in Genesis chapter 12, once in Genesis chapter 20. At great personal risk to herself, he asked her to do that. Now, you can't tell me that Sarah wasn't looking to the Lord and saying, you got to be kidding me with this guy. Where was her hope and trust? Not in Abraham. Certainly not the second time it happens. Her hope and trust is in God, right? But submission is the choice to willingly submit myself to the authority of another because God, who's the ultimate authority, has asked me to do it. And Peter says, a life lived with your hope, anchored in God, not your husband, is a life of bold faith and fearless obedience. Have you ever thought of submission in that light? Submission in the marriage is actually a call to bold faith and fearless obedience. The woman of faith who trusts in God and submits to his design for marriage is winsome and beautiful in the eyes of God, and fearless to obey him. Now, inevitably, we will find a way to get this wrong, okay, on both sides. So let me say a few things really briefly about what submission does not mean, and then we're going to move on to the husbands, but I want you to hear this. Submission doesn't mean, wives, that you don't think for yourself, okay, and it doesn't mean that you always agree with your husband, doesn't mean either one of those things. How do we know? This is not a check your brain at the altar command for wives. First of all, what kind of help are you going to be if you don't think for yourself and use your gifts to support your husband in his God-given role? No help, okay? But the woman in Peter's own example here disagrees with her husband. She has come to faith and he has not. She's made a decision to follow Jesus while her husband does not obey the word of God. She thinks for herself. She makes her own decisions. One of those decisions is, as a follower of Jesus, to submit to her husband's role as leader of her home. Do you see the difference? I hope you do. Here's another thing. Pursuing inner beauty doesn't mean you don't care what you look like. It doesn't mean you can't comb your hair or wear jewelry. That's not the point of the command. The point of it is to say you place your great value where God places your great value, on your character, the hidden person of the heart, and you see yourself as a person, as a daughter of the king, and you care most about what he cares most about, okay? Being fearless in your marriage does not mean that you tolerate abuse. That's not what it means, There's so much that we could say about this this morning. There can be a lot of confusion about this because this comes in the context of a passage on submission that talks about enduring suffering. 
But I don't want us to get that mixed up because abuse is not a part of God's design for marriage. And in a marriage between believers, the husband falls under the authority of God and the church and should be held accountable for the way that he acts and treats you. And as your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church who have been called to love the brotherhood, by the way, as we just talked about last week, we're not doing our job if we don't do everything we can to protect a sister in Christ from being abused. And, by the way, we're not doing our job if we're not calling a brother in Christ to a higher standard. We cannot allow someone knowingly in our midst to live in unrepentant sin as his brothers. Even an unbelieving husband, like the example that Peter's using here, falls under the submission to the government authority, which Peter says on its best days is there to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It's what cops are for, okay? So please don't read this or hear this as, I have to endure abuse if I'm a godly wife. I think that would be a radical misreading of this this morning. And if you have questions about that or you need help, There are godly people in this church who would love to help you. So please come and talk to us about it this morning. I want us to be careful to not misuse submission, okay? That's what Peter says to the wives this morning. Now let's hear what Peter says to the husbands. So guys, you can start taking some notes now, all right? Ladies, you get six verses this morning. Husbands, you get a verse, But there's three things that I want you to hear in this one verse, and they're significant. Maybe Peter keeps it short so that we'll pay attention through the whole thing. I'm not sure. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I see what Peter writes to wives as an encouragement in a difficult situation, in a difficult context. What I see Peter writing to husbands is predominantly corrective. It's like, guys, these are things that we're not naturally good at or aware of. And he says three different things. He says, guys, here's what I want you to think about, and then here's what I want you to do, and then here's what I want you to feel, okay? The first thing he says is, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think. That's the first thing. Verse 7, look at the beginning here. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Likewise, husbands, in this same attitude of submission to God that we've been talking about through all of these things, the government and slaves and masters and wives and now husbands, in the same attitude of submission, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, unlike what Peter's saying to the wives, this would actually be pretty radical teaching in Peter's context. This is not something that would be expected culturally. Okay, and that may be a little hard for us to relate to, but it's certainly less, a, a less controversial idea today, but still, not a natural inclination of men to be considerate. Just not wired that way, the same way that maybe women are. So it, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, which means literally, live with your wives according to knowledge. Which means what? Knowledge of what? Knowledge of everything. Knowledge of everything that is relevant to the relationship. That means, guys, be a student of your wife. Know her. 
Know how she responds to you. Know how she responds to your kids. Know how she responds to her environment. Know how she responds to the Lord, and on and on and on. I can tell you, after almost 18 years of marriage, I know a few things about Krista. I can talk about her because she's not here. She's helping with the kids this morning. (laughs) I know that she would always prefer a board game to a movie every time. I know that her least favorite chore is the dishes. I know that she would prefer that I not encourage our children by laughing at them when they do something funny that's also possibly disrespectful, okay? (laughs) These are things that I've learned. They're important for me to know so that I can live with her in an understanding way. And Peter says, guys, think. Be considerate. Think about her. Study her. Know her so that you can live together with her. Live according to what you know about her. Then he says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, which word sticks out? (laughs) Yeah, nice try. Weaker, right? Weaker. It's another opportunity to be offended, okay? We have some sensitivities to this. We have some sensitivities to this for a reason, by the way. But here's my question. Why do we focus on weaker and not honor. Why do we do that? Because of sin, again. But here's the thing. We can trust God. We can trust his design. He gets the benefit of the doubt here. We just don't trust each other with this. He says, husbands, show honor to your wives. Respect her. That's not offensive, is it? And I've always understood this word weaker to be a statement of value. In fact, I've taught this before. That the word weaker here actually gives the connotation of a really uh, fine vase or really expensive vase. And so husbands, treat your wife carefully with a lot of respect and be gentle and tender in the way that you deal with her, which is a nice sentiment. It's not necessarily a bad idea, but it's not what it means. Turns out the best translation of weaker is weaker. (laughs) Physically weaker. That's what it means. Peter says, guys, show respect to your wives, honor your wives by physically caring for them, considering them, protecting them as physically weaker than you are. Which includes, by the way, not taking advantage of the fact that you are physically stronger than she is. Now, is this true in every case? No. John Piper tells this great story, not a true story. I'll try and do it quick because we're really short on time, but he tells this great story about what this looks like. Husband and a wife are walking down the street. Husband is a computer programmer. Wife happens to be a black belt in Taekwondo, okay? Just, you get the idea. Walking down the street in the evening together, holding hands, and a guy jumps out of the bushes with a knife. Biblically, what is the response here? Here it is. The guy jumps in front of his wife and says, over my dead body. And he gets stabbed, falls to the ground. The wife disarms the attacker, calls the police and an ambulance for her husband. That's the biblical model, okay? Because it's not about who's more competent. It's about who's responsible. And he says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. So you care for them. You protect them. You stand up for them. And you don't abuse the fact that you are the stronger one in the story. So husbands, be thoughtful, Okay? Husbands, be respectful and careful. 
And then he says, at the end of the verse, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, think about your wife. Be thoughtful. Be a student of them. Husbands, be respectful. And he says, guys, be humble. Think about this, guys. You are living with an heiress. She stands to gain the universe as a daughter of God. She has this unimaginable inheritance. You are sharing your living room with a daughter of the king. That's what Peter's saying. So guys, in your weakest moment, when you want to assert your authority, when you want to pull out the list of all the ways that she's supposed to submit to you because God has given you the role of headship in the family, which I'm telling you is a bad idea, okay? Remember that before God, you are equal. You are equal. If you're both followers of Jesus, you are co-heirs of the grace of God. You both stand to gain this glorious inheritance as children of the king, so cool it with the pride, okay? That all of us as men are inclined toward and remember that you have given, you've been given the responsibility to lead an equal, not because you're more competent and not because you're better, but that you're responsible. That God says, in the end, I'm holding you accountable for how you care for my daughter. By the way, dads, that's what we're responsible to teach and to model to our sons, that kind of example. And finally, God says, you know what the motivation for all of that is, guys? So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's what he says. That your prayers may not be hindered. What, like God won't listen to my prayers? Yeah, like that. That's what it means. Here's why. Because if you are living inconsiderate of your wife, you're failing to protect her or you're taking advantage of her or you don't even see her position before God as an equal, as an heiress, as a daughter of the king, then you're in sin and you've broken communion with God. How can you expect your prayers to be effective while you're living in unrepentant sin before him? That's what he's saying. You're in sin, guys if you don't do these things. We're totally out of time. There's so much we could say. I hope that this has been helpful because I really look at this and I think, this is cool. This is actually a great picture of a godly partnership that brings glory to God. So let me just summarize it this way. Wives, be awesome to your husbands, okay? Help them fulfill their God-given role. Because if they understand their God-given role, they are scared to death of what God has given them. So help them. Help them do it and be winsome and be beautiful and be fearless in your obedience to God and your trust of Him. That's an awesome calling. And guys, I would just say the same. Husbands, be awesome to your wives, okay? Be a student of her Protect her, care for her, marvel at the fact that you have a daughter of the king in your living room. How great is that? And treat her like that. Be thoughtful, be respectful, 
and tender. Be humble and understand what God has called you to do and understand that you can't do it except by his grace in your life. And you do it because you fear God, not because you're a great guy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what you call us to is difficult. We just praise you for being God and knowing how we work. And we confess our sin before you as we have done this morning through the process of communion. Lord, you're great and we're not. And so we rest in your greatness. Lord, help us to be people who live lives that look like you. Help us to be people who submit to your authority in our life no matter where we are, no matter our circumstance. And for those who are married or looking toward marriage, I pray that you would sink this, this message deep into our hearts. That we would be people who trust in you so deeply that we can live the way we've been called to live. I pray this in your name. Amen.